This episode of YXE Underground is brought to you by Uncle Mike's All Natural Products. If you're looking for the best soap in Saskatoon, especially in the midst of a global pandemic, check out this great Saskatoon company. I would feel like I understand how to work with it safely, definitely. Um, I often tell my parents not to worry when I'm inside <laughs> because I feel safest working in level three, safer than being out in the community or grocery shopping for sure or anything. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Andrea Craker. Andrea and her colleague Jill Van Kessel from Vito Intervac are the featured guests in episode three, season three of YXE Underground. Saskatoon's Vito Intervac facility has been on the front lines of the global effort to find a COVID-19 vaccine. It's an extremely big challenge, but it's one that Andrea Craker and Jill Van Kessel are embracing. They are research technicians at Vito who work with the COVID-19 virus every day. We'll find out what it's like being part of this global effort and how they balance work and home life in this episode of YXE Underground. I've driven by Vito Intervac on the University of Saskatchewan campus many times in the past six years, due mostly to the fact that our dog Fred had a real craving for chocolate and sometimes needed to get his stomach pumped at the university's vet college. When my wife and I would pick up Fred, we would pass the Vito Intervac building and I always wondered what went on inside the building's large glass walls. In 2020, I am not the only person asking that question. Vito Intervac stands for Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization International Vaccine Centre. It was formed by the U of S in 1975 and in 2011 the organization opened a $140 million level 3 containment facility. That's the shiny glass building Fred and I would drive past on our way home. There are only a handful of level 3 labs in Canada that can safely work with SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. Since January, research technicians like Andrea and Jill have been working on developing a vaccine. Vito is part of a global effort to develop a vaccine. The organization's work has been chronicled really well by local news, and I'll put some links in the show notes to articles by Alicia Bridges and Zach Vissera, but I wondered what it must be like to be a member of the team that's racing to develop a vaccine. Jill has worked at Vito for 20 years. Andrea moved from Winnipeg to Saskatoon this past spring to work with the organization. They are passionate about their work, they are incredibly kind and humble, and I know you're going to find our conversation fascinating. Now there's a bit of a backstory to our conversation. I was supposed to meet Jill and Andrea last Saturday, but a snowstorm pushed our conversation to Monday. And if you live in Saskatoon, you know that this past Monday was a disaster thanks to a second massive storm. So that pushed the interview to Tuesday, as in two days ago. My friend and photographer, Rana Andres, and I showed up around 4.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday and met Jill in the entranceway. Andrea was running up a bit late as she was just getting out of containment. I have never had to wait for someone getting out of containment before, and I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, we went up to the second floor atrium wearing masks and sat down to talk. Now, if there is any place in the world where you are going to maintain proper social distance, it is that Vito Intervac. So Andrea and Jill's voices will sound a little distant compared to mine in this episode. In the first part of our conversation, we talk about the work they are doing and what it feels like to be part of a global effort to develop a vaccine. But I started with a really hard-hitting question to Andrea and Jill. How was their day? <laughs> oh, you picked the right day. It's not a typical day. <laughs> so we just had the big snowstorm. Uh, yesterday was cancelled. So today was catching up from yesterday as well as doing today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was a lot of cramming stuff in last minute and, and there was a lot of teamwork today, I have to say, trying mm -hmm. to get everything done and help everybody out and um, just make sure we get everything done that we needed to do today and I think we did it. <laughs> yeah. Almost there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you guys tired? Yes. Not yet. <laughs> I'm always tired. <laughs> um, but what, what does a typical day look like for, for both of you? I don't know if there's um, a typical day per se, but there are certain trends, I suppose. I would, I would say I spend about half of my time in containment in level three, um, and the other half uh, is spent preparing to go in or coming out and recording data, looking at data, meetings, that kind of stuff. Um, I want to get back to level three and containment in a second, but Joe, what, what, does, what does a typical day look like for you, if there is such a thing? Yeah, same thing. It's um, come in in the morning, check your email, um, prep what you need to do for the day to go into the level three lab, and then we spend a certain amount of time in there, and then often there's things to do outside once we're finished inside we have samples to bring out and, and process outside so there's both but we also have a lot of um, teamwork going on so the level three people often will do the level three work and then there's other people in the CL2 lab that help us out and and carry on so that we can get maximum amount of work done in short amount of time okay so uh, tell me what the level three containment like what what when, when you come to work this um, every morning, um, like what, what, what do you do in there? What, what happens in there? Hmm. Uh, level three is where we run all our samples that are infected with, uh, not well, right now coronavirus, um, although uh, in other times we'll work with other viruses as well. Um, and so when we go in, we have to make sure that we put on the appropriate um, equipment to protect ourselves against uh, being exposed to the pathogen. Uh, so we'll put on, uh, well, first off, first of all, you remove all your street clothes and then you put on a pair of scrubs. And then over top of that, we'll put um, sort of, sort of like a Ghostbuster uh, suit. It's, it's white. It's like a full body suit, uh, little slippers, um, and then a sort of like a full helmet that has air flowing through it, and that air is filtered through a HEPA filter so that any kind of virus is filtered out of there and breathing clean air. Wow. So that's, that's even before you get into your area then. You have to put on all that first. What, what is, uh, what's that experience like? It's uh, different. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, at first it was a little bit daunting because if you forget anything, you're potentially exposed. So you're very careful in the beginning about making sure you have everything on and that it's functioning properly before you open that door and go into the containment lab. So, mm -hmm. um, and then once you're in there working in it, it's a little bit um, cumbersome sometimes because you have this big helmet on and, and there's air flowing and it's hot. and. It's, um, there's things attached to you and you have to be careful not to catch it on things and, and uh, you're wearing multiple layers of gloves and everything's covered up. So it's, uh, everything is slower <laughs> in CL3 yeah. because you just have to be, you're just very much more cautious about what's going on around you and, and what you're doing. Is it a big space? Yes. 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 Um, I've actually worked in two different level three labs and this one is quite large like we have a lot of space yeah um you you mentioned the the gloves because i'm i'm picturing like you know you're obviously doing a lot of work with with your hands but like is that is that cumbersome to like have i i take for granted that i have the dexterity of my fingers to do things but like is that is that hard sometimes yeah you get them caught on things and <laughs> or you have um i think i'm kind of in between sizes so small is too small and mediums are not quite fitting me properly so you might wear a combination of things just to make sure that yes you do have dexterity because you, you need it in there mm -hmm. um, but yeah that's that's one thing it's have to get used to yeah. um, so Andrew when you when you put everything on and you go into the the area what 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 do you do what happens next um, once you're dressed up and you enter the lab it's pretty much like working in any other lab. Um, so we'll have an area in the lab 
that is considered completely sterile. Um, there's air filtered through it on a continual basis. And this is where we work with most of our samples. Um, it's isolated from us, um, but we're also isolated from anything inside. So it's, it's contained within containment, you could maybe say. Um, and this is where all our experiments happen. So we'll look at uh, different kinds of animal tissues. Um, we look at uh, whether they're shedding virus uh, through nasal secretions, for example. Uh, we look at different organs and whether there's virus in there. What else do we look at? Uh, cell culture, um, microscopy. Um, we're looking at, we do some blood work in there too. Um, those are the, the main uh, assays that we're doing inside, but as we go on, we're bringing in more and more equipment and doing more and more things inside. So that's been kind of interesting too. Ooh, ooh, tell, tell me more about that. Because I, I have to say, um, and, and this was something I'll, I'll, I'll touch on later on, but when, when I was telling some of my friends and colleagues that I was coming to interview you today, there, there was just so many questions about like, you know, what are they doing and like sort of what stage are they at or whatever. So what, like what, when you say bringing in new things, Joe, what, what does that mean? Um, well, like your blood gas analyzer, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Um, I think we're still bringing some, most samples we're trying to bring out to do some of our work, but we have to inactivate the virus before we can bring it out, obviously. Um, but there's some things like ELISA's, and so we have a big ELISA reader in there now. Um, What's that? It's a, it's a way to measure antibodies against the virus in serum or cytokine secretion from the animals in, in serum or in other body fluids. Um, and it's just, it's an antibody-based assay, so we're doing that inside as well. And, and when you say animals, is it ferrets that you're working with now, or what kind of animals? Uh, we sort of have two working models uh, at Vito right now. Uh, we use a lot of ferrets, but also a lot of hamsters to, mm -hmm. to look at SARS. Um, this might seem like a really weird question, but um, like you, you, both of you know this, the, this virus in, in, in a way that the rest of the population probably doesn't know in terms of like you, you've seen it and stuff. Like have you gotten to, I don't know if, if you've gotten to know it at all, but like what, what, is, what is it like to look at a, a, you know, a coronavirus sample? What, what is that like? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I guess I don't really think about looking at it much, but I would feel like I understand how to work with it safely, definitely. Um, I often tell my parents not to worry when I'm inside <laughs> because I feel safest working in level three, safer than being out in the community or grocery shopping for sure or anything because uh, we're very well trained uh, we do this every day, um, and you know there's really very little risk of being exposed as opposed to being outside when you're around people and uh, you don't know where they've been, who they've talked to, um, what you're being exposed to. So um, it's really like our own little bubble here at work mm -hmm. that we spend time in. Yeah, I would agree. I feel much safer. Um, working with the virus every day yeah. <laughs> the way we do than being out in the community and exposed to the unknown. Really? Yeah. That, I, I find that fascinating because... In the beginning, yeah. it was very much, you know, you're holding this sample and you know that it has um, SARS-CoV-2 in it and you know it, it's all in the news and it, when it was really in the beginning, it was very... Um, kind of awestruck. <laughs> it just got like, wow, this is what's causing all these problems. And I'm holding it <laughs> in my hand. So, you know, there was a little bit of that. Yeah. 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 Not knowing how it acts at the beginning. Yeah. Right. But yeah. we sort of, you know, we collect so much data that yeah. we see every day that, yeah. you know, we have an idea of when it transmits, how much transmits. Um, how fast it replicates, you know, we see that on a daily basis, at least in animal models. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
so we can sort of extrapolate a little bit to understanding what's going on around us. Wow. Um, Jill, I'm so glad you mentioned sort of those, those first moments, because that, that was something I wanted to ask you, because I, I know for myself, it didn't, it didn't feel real to me until um, the weekend of the Juno Awards in, in March, um, when obviously the Junos were canceled, but um, where I work at Sherbrooke Community Center, which is a long-term care home here in the city, uh, where Ronald works as well, um, we made the decision the Saturday, so I think it was March uh, 13th, 12th or 13th, we made the decision to, um, to close our doors to visitors because we saw what was happening in care homes in Ontario and Quebec and BC. So that, that's when it felt real to me, but you, you, both of you had been working on it long before that, right? Like, do, do you remember when, like when you first started working with the virus here at Vito? I'm trying to think, I started probably mid-March as well, right around the time things started to shut down. By the time I got um, trained and was starting on some of the contract work, um, it was about mid-March. And what were you doing before that, Jill? I worked, I've been here for many years actually, I have 20 years <laughs> working here <laughs> and I was working in an immunology group, immunology virology group and so um, they asked for people, they needed some help with the coronavirus group and that was even before things started to get crazy um, because I think they, they started to recognize in January that something was going on and that this was something that and Vito decided this is something we need to jump on. We can make a vaccine. We've had good luck in the past with the other coronavirus vaccines that we've made. So let's get on this. And so then I decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna join this group because it sounded really interesting. And then when it progressed to being a pandemic, it was just wow. <laughs> now we're in it. Yeah. Um. So you, you thought you thought it was interesting. Yes. Um, did, did any other thoughts go through your head in terms of why you wanted to participate in this in this group? Um, as it went on, it was definitely uh, I wanted to do something progressive, something to help. Um, I'm not good sitting at home. <laughs> I'm an extrovert, and I think I really would have been in trouble had I been at home. Um, by my, you know, my family's there, but uh, I need people, I get energy from people, and so I was very grateful actually to be coming to work and to be able to contribute to something and to be making a difference instead of just sitting at home worrying and, and you know, not being able to help. So that was very important for me. Oh, and this can be for, for both of you. Like how, how does it feel to be part of a team that is working towards such a, such a, a big, an incredible goal. Like, what, what does that feel like? Very rewarding, I would say. Um, I guess you could define a team as in just um, the, uh, the lab work that we do. As a group, I think we work quite um, sort of like an integrated team. We have now have three different researchers um, who each have their own academic programs and each run different contracts that come into Vito. Um, but uh, the workload really gets shared if someone's busy um, or has an extra busy day, other people will step in and help out. Um, but we also have a much bigger team, obviously, with our biosafety people, management, um, all our support staff. Um, how, how does that feel, Jill, to be part of a team like that? It's, um, I think you called it best, you said it was a privilege, mm. and it really is. It's, uh, I don't, I mean, we're in a place that can actually do work like this, and there's not very many of them in Canada or the world, and so, yeah, I feel very lucky to be able to participate. Um, Andrew, you mentioned that there's, there's researchers working on, on different things um, and different contracts. I, I, I don't know much about how that how that process uh, works like how um, how, yeah, how does it work like is it a, a case where like you get a, a you know you have a meeting with someone and say you're, you're working on this now or like how, how does that work hmm. 
Well, the uh, three scientists are all um, professors affiliated with universities. Um, so a big part of their job is to write grants um, and to come up with these big, amazing ideas that we um, help them perform in the lab. And so they each have sort of their own expertise and little niche areas of research. Um, but in addition and on top of that, they are also in charge of running uh, grants that come in from other, uh, from other universities or companies from Canada, um, but also internationally. Um, they come into Vito um, so that we can run uh, level three experiments for them, basically. Um, and so they're also in charge of, of overseeing those. Like, I, I was just thinking, like, how, how much responsibility that that like that must be, and and I love that you said it's it's a it's a privilege. Um, do you ever feel though like the all oh, this is? I was just about to say the weight of the world, but that's that's way too cliche. But like, do you do you feel that responsibility? At, yeah, you're nodding. There's, a lot of, there's pressure, definitely. Yeah. yeah, because people are dying, <laughs> and the government of Canada has given a lot of money and um, just. We do, everybody wants to go back to normal, <laughs> and, they, and, and you're hearing it in the media, and everybody's like, we, that won't happen until we have a vaccine. We need a vaccine. We need a vaccine. And so, yeah, there's some pressure, but it's, it's good pressure, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's because we need it, and, and so it motivates you to work harder, and you're tired, but you, we got to get it out. And it's fun to be in the middle of everything, yeah. too, right? Yeah. Like we see so many different projects coming in um, from different groups around the world, all with different ways of producing and trying a vaccine. So we get to be a part of that. And it's really, really interesting um, and really exciting in a way. Um, and just to be, you know, this whole rush to find a vaccine um, is really has become like a global effort, right? Yeah. yeah. And everyone says how unprecedented it is to have this type of collaboration among so many different companies and universities. Um, the speed at which this whole process is happening and we get to be like, I feel like I'm right in the middle of it yeah. or at least in part of it, yeah. right? So um, I just think that's really cool. I wish I could, I, I bet, are you smiling right now under your mask? <laughs> yes. Is it hard to tell? No, it's, <laughs> it's not. And I, I, I wish I could see that. But that, like, that's, wow, that, that must be such a, such a, a great feeling. I know um, there's been times during this pandemic with my job at Sherbrooke, like, I've, I've, uh, um, I've, I've, at times I felt overwhelmed, but then at the same time, too, I, I work with this amazing team, and it's, it's, you sort of build off of each other's energy. And so, but not only do you work, do you have a team here at Vito? But then you're part of this like global effort too. Like it's like this double team, Jill. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, like your our bosses are having weekly meetings with WHO. <laughs> like it's crazy. I, I I did want to ask too about the communication because this is a global effort. Like when you when you are doing your lab work and and you get some results. Um, how do you how do you go about sharing it so that like not only your your colleagues within Vito know but then maybe someone in in Copenhagen or in California or Australia like how how do you how do you share all that? Um, I don't know if we do per se, but our supervisors do. So they have um, weekly, monthly group meetings with other researchers around the world who are doing similar work, and and they have. Um, collaborations going and they discuss what's working and what isn't working and are they finding the same things that we are and and it's um, that's what I, Andrew was saying that's unprecedented that people are so open with their research and what's happening mm -hmm. and what they're finding versus what we're finding and typically that's all very closed and you know secretive and we need to be the first to publish and that's not happening right now it's everybody's sharing all their research all their data and it's just, it's coming together for the greater good, and it's really heartening to see. I was just about to say, it must be refreshing, hey? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I think that's how science should be all the time, but it isn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
I think it helps too that I think the idea is that we not just have one vaccine, yeah. but we yeah. might benefit from having multiple vaccines. Whether one company just can't produce enough of one, uh, it's good to have multiple people doing that, or whether different vaccines work better than other people, we just don't know yet. So there's definitely lots of room, I think, for many ideas at this time. You're listening to episode three of season three of YXC Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. My guests are Andrea Craker and Jill Van Kessel of Vito Interback. You can subscribe to YXC Underground on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. You can stream this episode on Spotify or the website yxeunderground.com. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to leave a review. This episode is sponsored by Uncle Mike's All Natural Products. And I'll tell you all about how great their soap is at the end of the episode. Be sure to follow Waxy Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and that's where you will see some great photos of Andrea and Jill, taken by Saskatoon photographer Rana Andres. You heard Jill mention in the first part of our conversation how she ended up working on a vaccine for COVID-19. For 20 years, she has worked at Vito Intervac in a variety of roles. But for Andrea Craker, working and living in Saskatoon is relatively new. In the second part of our conversation, Andrea explains why she wanted to come work at Vito Intervac. We also talk about how challenging it is to separate work and home life when there's so much pressure on your shoulders. Here's Andrea now sharing her story of how she ended up in Saskatoon. I was working at the uh, National Microbiology Lab there where there's also a level 3 containment lab. And through my studies, I've become really interested in working with high containment viruses. And whenever you work with viruses that can make you sick, Obviously, antivirals and vaccines are a huge part of that research. Um, And so I really, really wanted to find a career um, working on vaccines. So um, my supervisor had mentioned um, that Vito exists out here in Saskatoon. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I've been sort of following them on social media and their website for the last few years. And it just happened to be really good timing. There was... um, my supervisor was hiring uh, a technician for the SARS lab in March, and uh, I contacted him about that, and maybe two or three weeks later, I was living here and working here. It was that fast. Very fast. <laughs> yeah, it was fast. Yeah. What, what um, like, did you, have, did you have any trepidations at all about coming here and, and working with the virus and in this environment, or was it just like, let's do this? I was, I was so excited. It's basically my dream job to be here. And uh, I, I didn't need time to think about it. I, I jumped at the chance and uh, I'm very happy to be here. What, what were the first few weeks like? Not, not only like you're, you're getting used to your work here, but then you're getting used to a whole new city and you're moving here in the midst of a pandemic too. Like a lot, a lot going on there, Andrea. That, what, you know, that is really strange to move during a pandemic. That's, that's true. Um, in many ways, uh, Saskatoon isn't too different from Winnipeg. I, I felt very much at home right away um, in that sense. Um, and when I first came to Vito, we, Vito was fair, mostly shut down. It was just yeah. the yeah. SARS lab that was working. Yeah. Everyone else was told to stay home. Um, yeah. So I felt like I bonded with that lab very quickly <laughs> because they were my world. Um, you know, the whole city was also shut down. So. I went back and forth between home and work, and that was that was my life. Uh, I guess it's still my life, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really yeah, go it's anywhere still my else <laughs> except shopping. Yeah. yeah. Um, is is it hard to like you know you you guys have have, have really spoken I, I think well about like the importance of team and team building when when you have a new member of the team come and uh they're wearing a ghostbusters uniform like inside like is it um 
there, there's so many, I can see like there's so many barriers in some ways. Like how, how, how did you go about welcoming Andrea to the, to the team, Jill? How do you go about doing that? I think it's easier inside actually, because you can see your face. <laughs> we don't have to wear these. You can actually see what people are thinking um, and we can speak. Um, I think it just it just happened because we were all in it together. We were all doing work that needed to get done, and and um, I know what it's maybe it, I know what it's like to move to a different place and to start in a lab. We don't know anything or anybody, and since I used to live in Germany for a year, and for ever since I did that, I'm much more aware of new people coming in and trying to facilitate their transition because I really had a good experience there and because of my colleagues and so I try to make sure that I pay it forward. <laughs> so um, there's nothing worse than sitting there not knowing what to do or who to ask. So you just you just jump in and help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there besides yourself, Andrea, was, was there anybody else sort of new to the team or were, were you the were you the newbie? <laughs> I think I was for a little while, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the team has grown quite considerably, I think, since even yeah. since I came in yeah. April. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a lot more newbies now. <laughs> and not just like particularly in, in the SARS lab per se, yeah. but in other labs in Vito that have now started working again here. Yeah. Um, they also participate in the SARS research program. We were sort of drawing in from all other different yeah. labs, their different expertise and just their, yeah. their time, if they have it, they come help us out. So yeah, yeah we have a big team now. Yeah. Um, you, you guys have, have touched a little bit too on, on how, um, especially in the, in the early parts, it was you, you go home, you come here and you go back home. And, and when I'm curious about the going home part, um, were you, especially in those first maybe few months when when everything was, especially in Saskatoon, was was shut down and and there was a sense of, I I I felt sort of like this like oh we're, like we're this is this is going to be life for a while and oh, um, were were you able to to separate work and and home life and and if so how were you able to do it? In the early days, it was more difficult I think because they were long days and um, busy days, like you were just running all day long. Mm -hmm. So you go home and collapse, <laughs> you just go to bed. Um, my husband was home and my kids were home, so that was nice, I didn't, he would often have supper ready and, and the kids would have cleaned the house because I just didn't have anything left. Um, it's getting better. Um, and things are getting a little bit more normal too. And I'm learning better how to handle the workload. And, but it was just so new and everything was new. And then yes, there's this weight on you all the time. Just this overall level. And I think people are still dealing with that, this overall level of anxiety with the, with the pandemic. Um, but you know, then the pressure of, of trying to develop a vaccine because people are dying. <laughs> so, um, how would yeah yeah it's the balancing part is important because it can easily become very overwhelming mm -hmm. so i think it's important to try to shut it off at night and to be with your family and to take time for yourself and and to um, take care of yourself because otherwise you're not going to be any use to anybody at work or at home how, how do you take care of yourself Oh, well, you've met my CrossFit people. <laughs> I, I have met a few of your CrossFit people, and they were so excited that I was speaking with you. They speak so highly of you. Yes. I, I, that's been a real godsend for me. Um, it's good for my mental health. It's good for my physical health. I enjoy those people a lot. We, during the pandemic, we had our Zoom workouts every year. So they, they, our gym put out um, workouts we could do at home. And now that we were able to go back to the gym, I'm definitely there uh, multiple times a week. And I really notice it if I don't go. Um, but yeah, just trying to connect with family and connect with friends and, and be with my kids and, and just try to put work at work and mm -hmm. home at home. 
Um, my, my mom was a nurse and I, I, um, I would sometimes ask her questions about how her day was and, and stuff like that. Um, what types of questions did your kids ask you, especially in those first couple months when you were working on this? They actually, a lot of them were questions that their friends had asked them to ask me. <laughs> I don't know, my kids weren't really questioning what I was doing. Um, they thought it was cool. And then, you know, there would be some pictures go out or on the Beetle website, you know, there would be some videos and stuff and I'd show them and they'd say, oh, that's really cool. But um, yeah, then my daughter would be like, my friend wants to know when there's a vaccine coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that both of you have never been asked that question before at all. Yeah, and my, my one son's friend, uh, his family, his dad was here from China and had tried to go back and couldn't, of course. So. They had a bunch of family back home and they were talking to them so they were they weren't sure the messages they were getting from china were accurate so then they were barry was coming and asking me <laughs> if this was true or not oh my gosh you were like an ambassador jill yeah. <laughs> so that was entertaining <laughs> you're saying people approach you almost like once a week and they ask do. you questions yeah or they'll ask me if they can volunteer or to be in the vaccines to, um, study groups and things like that so yeah. do you enjoy that do you enjoy people just asking you yeah. questions yeah. yeah 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 no it's uh it's good to talk about i'm really excited that more people in saskatoon know about veto because mm. before this it was you know people would they knew this was this big building was here but they didn't know what we did and so that's been exciting so that they it's kind of uh, more people know what we do and more people are excited that what we're doing and so that's been really fun. Yeah. Oh, Andrea, how, how do you balance uh, work life and, and home life, especially coming to a new city? Hmm. It's, well, it's interesting hearing you yeah. talk about how it's gotten easier because I sort of feel the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming here, I guess it was busy with moving and such, but when you start a new job, there's a period of training um, where you, there's a limited amount of how much you can help out, <laughs> right? So you're at your computer, you're going through your, all your training modules, and um, it just takes you a little while to get up and running. But now that I've been here for a while, I'm, um, I have a lot more experience and independence, so it's gotten much busier <laughs> yeah. and more responsibility. So. Uh, Sometimes, I, I guess, I think a lot about life-work uh, balance, and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. <laughs> um, sometimes we come in on weekends and work full days, or we work 10 to 12-hour days um, because it just takes that long to get things done. Um, yeah. And so, mm -hmm. absolutely, like Jill said, um, it's important to try to turn it off when you go home. Mm -hmm. um, because you know your family deserves your time and your attention, and uh, and it's also good for you as a person to just let all that go for a little while. Um, so it, it's it's hard sometimes <laughs> to turn that off. Um, I try not to check my email, although sometimes you need to check if something's happening the next day. Um, and just do, just do the little normal things. Go for a walk, um, exercise if you can. I'm not as good about that <laughs> as Jill is, um, but I do try. Um, just doing your normal activities, keeping in touch with your family, reading a book, watching a movie, that kind of thing. I, I appreciate you both opening up about that because I, I, I know sometimes that's not the easiest thing to talk about, but I just, I just wanted to get a sense because obviously the work you're doing is, is so important and yet, um, you know, if, if I were to run into both of you, say, at a, at a grocery store, it, like, I, I, well, now I'll know, but, like, before I wouldn't have known that you are, you're doing this such important work. Um, so, yeah, that, that work-life balance is just, um, it's just so hard. When, when you, when you do have, when you do have, um, like, a, a, a hard day or a challenging day, is it, um, is it hard to just sort of, like, flush it down and focus on the next day or does, does it sort of linger a bit at all? Yeah, I think it lingers. Um, just because of the nature of the work, it's, it's ongoing. So if you've had a hard day and a long day, 
you probably have another one <laughs> the next day. So um, it's a little bit better now that we can, because we're up and running. We can try to plan our own uh, week somewhat. I mean, sometimes if there's animal trials going on and stuff. You, you have to do what you have to do when you do it, and it's set times. But on the other days, um, I think you have to be a bit more careful about how much you try to do on those days, mm -hmm. because it's easy to say, "Oh, I could, I could finish this," you know, in two days. But is that smart? Is you know, that's maybe when mistakes are going to happen because you're trying to do too much. And I know I'm very guilty of that. I, I try to do too much often, and I'm really trying to not do that all the time. <laughs> so, or thinking I can do multiple things, but then sometimes you get to be too much into the multitasking and, and things fall apart. So <laughs> just trying to really recognize what you can do, and especially in level three, sometimes it's less than what you think because it just takes longer. Everything takes longer. So yeah, you could run this assay in the level two lab, no problem, but it's gonna take you at least twice as long to do that same assay in level three. And you have to be mindful of that. Is, is patience important in your job? It, 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 yeah. se it seems like it, yeah. yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that must be so hard because our society now is so like, we want things instantly, don't we? Yeah. And and. And yet, you just told a story about how, like, you've just got to take a breath and yeah. and wait. Yeah, yeah, you have to be smart. <laughs> just oh. recognize your own limitations, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm very appreciative of your of your time, so I won't take up too much of it. But uh, there there is one thing I was very curious to ask both of you. Um, like you, Andrew, you mentioned like this is this is your dream job, um, and I. When I was a kid, I never, I never thought that this, like, this wasn't even totally on my radar. Like, you know, I was going to be a NBA point guard, even though I stopped growing at five foot seven, and <laughs> I was from Swift Current. So obviously, that wasn't a dream. But like, that's the kind of things I dreamed of. But like, how, how, like, for for both of you, where where did your love of 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 science, where where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Well, I've I've always enjoyed science. Um, as, a, as a kid in school, in high school. Um, but I sort of fell into research almost by accident. Um, I did two years of university, not science related. And then I took a year off to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Sorry, this is... No, 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 I like, oh, I, no, I, I like this. So go, keep uh, going. But when I took a year off, I did some odds and ends jobs uh, working in temporary positions. And I ended up um, in a genetics diagnostic lab as a secretary and other than answering the phone and sending off mail I, I wasn't that busy so I ended up going into the back area where the lab was um, and where all the lab technicians worked and I loved being back there um, there's something about the environment um, the people and the conversations we had and um, and I really liked that they got these mystery samples and they figured out what was in them and uh, so I decided to go back to school and to work in a medical uh, diagnostic lab. And uh, I ended up being on a waiting list and I finished my degree <laughs> while I was waiting. And during that time I did uh, a year long project with a professor, it's called Honors Project, you do it in your last year. And I fell in love with research. I was given sort of a broad topic to investigate. And I loved making these questions. Like I wanted to know something and you had to design an experiment that could answer that question. And the bigger your question, the more you had to break it up into multiple experiments. So it became this process and almost like a puzzle or like solving a mystery. And I loved that process. And so I decided to go into grad school. Um, to learn how to do research, and uh, that's sort of how I ended up here. This is totally your dream job, isn't it? Like, talk about, like, like we're, this is the biggest mystery in the world right now, and you're helping solve it, Andrea. It's definitely a lot of fun, yes. Jill, where, where does your love of science come from? Uh, 
same thing. I, li I liked math and science in school. Um, my dad was a math teacher. He's also the basketball coach, so I... <laughs> I maybe maybe he could have taught me better. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm very short. <laughs> so, wasn't happening. Um, but I went on to university. I wanted to, actually, I was originally wanted to get into medicine. And um, my third year of anatomy, uh, I took some microbiology classes, and I really liked it. And same thing, medical microbiology in particular. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, oh, but this is something I could do. I could do this as a, a job. So, um, so the same thing, I, I actually finished my degree. I have uh, two undergrad degrees, one in anatomy and one in microbiology. And then I started working here um, 20 years ago. And then about three or four years into it, I actually did my master's degree while I was working here um, part-time. So um, just continued on and, and that's, but I've been in different labs. I started in virology and then I moved into immunology and, and now I'm back in virology again. Um, but it's been, Vito's been very good to me and I really enjoy working here. I enjoy the people a lot um, and yeah, this is, I don't know if it's my dream job, <laughs> but it's pretty darn good. <laughs> um, last question for you, for you both. If, if there is someone uh, listening, and, and, and maybe they're maybe they're in high school, maybe they're first, second year university, um, and they're, you know, this wasn't on the radar before, but they're, maybe their interest has peaked a little bit. What what would you what would you say to them if they were curious about the the road that that you guys have have traveled and, and now wound up here at Vito? I think uh, the best way to figure out if you really like doing something, uh, maybe you have an idea in your head and you're like, oh, that sounds cool, but then you do it if you don't. Like, maybe you don't really like doing it after all, is just, just to try it. Uh, maybe you can um, talk to a professor and say, hey, can I come work in your lab for a day? Or, um, or try something, take a science course in high school or something and see, and see what you think. Or talk to a scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, we run the Gardner uh, wet labs. Uh, this year it's virtual, but in the past we've had 190 high school students come through every year, and they do uh, a wet lab with us. So we we uh, we make a small project that they can do in a small amount of time. But they're in the lab. They're wearing their lab coats. They're using the equipment that we use. And they have a lecture on top of that from a world-renowned scientist. And so we've had two, at least two graduate students come through recently who said that they were part of that Gardner lecture and that that decided that they wanted to, to go this route. And, and how, how does that make you feel? So that's really, it's awesome. Yeah, because that kind of stuff didn't exist when I was in high school. Um, and even there's some, programs, you know, my niece came to work with me in grade 11, and she was thinking about this, and she was thinking about nursing, and she was thinking about education. So she came to work with me for a day, and we did some small experiments. And afterwards, she decided, nope, that's not what she wants to do. <laughs> but, that's good too, but that's good. Yeah, she tried it, and she just didn't think it was a good fit for her. But, but yeah, I definitely think if you know somebody, if there's any way you could get into a lab and just have that experience or do a work co-op or um, something like that, a summer job. I'm so appreciative of, of your time. It's, it's the end of, of, a, of a long day for you both and, and you, you stuck around to speak with me, so I thank you. And um, the fact that I think, what are we on plan C or D in terms of, of doing the interview because we were supposed to do it on Saturday, snowstorm, Monday, snowstorm. <laughs> And so, yeah, Plan C or something like that. So um, it was a real pleasure to, to meet you both. Um, and I thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I ho do people thank you? People must thank you, right? Yeah, they do, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I never know, like, where to look when they do that. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> you, just, you just nodded your head down. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, and it was a real pleasure to meet you both. So thank you. Thank you also. Thank you. It's been really fun to do this with you. Yeah. Yeah.
No, it's really been a great experience. My sincere thanks to Andrea Craker and Jill Van Kessel for staying late after a busy day at work to speak with me on the podcast. To learn more about Vito Intervac, visit their website, vito.org. This has been episode three of season three of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can subscribe for free to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Stream episodes on Spotify or at the website yxeunderground.com. And don't forget to leave a review of the podcast if you like what you just heard. You can also follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And a big thank you to Saskatoon's Rana Andres for taking such wonderful photos for this episode. Thank you to the good folks at Danger Dynamite here in Saskatoon for maintaining the website. And thank you to my cousin, Andrew Dixon, for creating all the music for the podcast. I also want to give a big thank you to Mike Zimmer, who is the owner of Uncle Mike's All Natural Products. I have known Mike for years, and he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, I... I I really like fancy soaps, and I love Mike's soaps. They're they're just the best, and I've been using his products for years. Um, I actually worked at his um, at his little booth um, at the Saskatoon Farmers Market years and years ago, and it was so much fun. Um, Mike's a great guy, and if you're looking for stocking stuffers uh, this upcoming uh, Christmas, be sure to check out uh, Uncle Mike's uh, because it's it's just the best soap, and they've got shaving products and all all types of things. So be sure to check out Mike uh, and Uncle Mike's on their website. I also want to give a big thank you to a woman named Trenna Brusky. And Trenna is the uh, communications person with Vito Intervac, and she was just fantastic uh, to work with. Uh, we were emailing back and forth for about four months to make this happen, and um, I know they've received global attention, and they've had articles, you know, uh, in the Global Mail and and you know CBC and all the all the big names. Um, but she still made uh, made me feel appreciated, and she still managed to you know make a, a, a small independent podcast from Saskatoon um, have access to, to two just wonderful people. So, uh, Trina, thank you so much for your, your efforts. I really do appreciate it. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk with you soon, Saskatoon. <laughs>